Just a reminder that Big Mood, Little Mood with Daniel M. Lavery happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode or Little Big Mood every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash mood. To Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Ben Roy, a Denver-based comedian whose latest comedy special is called Hyena. Ben, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm always stoked when the word heavy is thrown around, so I'm I'm for it. <laughs> I am too. Yeah, this is not a balanced episode where we've got like kind of a bigger thing, a smaller thing, something in the middle. It's It's kind of all heavy. But uh, with that being said, none of these problems, I think, are totally insurmountable. And I think that uh, without making ourselves responsible for fixing anyone's problems in a single afternoon, I do think that we're going to be able to be useful. And I'm especially excited. I think our first question, it, it went in a direction I wasn't expecting. Like the way that it started, it was sort of setting up like, my brother's the golden child. And usually questions like that are about like, how do I deal with my own irritation or resentment or feeling interpolated? or misinterpolated. And in this case, it's a little bit like, I think everyone else is being too hard on him. Right, um, right. And and I I kind of love that. I, I believed the letter writer when they said that. I didn't think they were trying to like cover up for uh, sort of subterranean feelings of jealousy. And I thought that was like genuinely pretty cool. Right. So the subject here is worker bee. My family have always, quote, worried about my brother's education, work ethic, and career. He was the golden boy who partied too hard and coasted too often to predictable results. Turns out you can get by without planning or meeting deadlines as long as you're charming and brilliant. It's been hard feeling like the worker bee mechanic to his big shot surgeon, but he's also my brother and I love him. I couldn't be him even if you gave me a ladder and a teleprompter, which helps it from feeling like a competition. What I don't understand is why our family seem to resent that he's doing well. I can't visit our parents without someone, sometimes them, telling me how they don't think he deserves his success and he'll come undone sooner or later. I assume it's rude to tell my aunt that, quote, he's 10 times smarter than you are, so he doesn't have to try hard. Or our cousin that, quote, and people would still like him more than they like you. How can I just get them to stop wishing bad things on someone that they're meant to love just because he's proved them wrong or at least keep them from thinking I agree with them? For the record, my brother doesn't care what they think. He never has. So I'm not really defending him. I'm just annoyed at everyone else. Yeah, I love this. And especially I like, did too. Yeah, no wonder your brother doesn't care what they think. He's like a big shot surgeon who everybody yeah. likes. Like he's he's uh, he's rolling in it. I agree when you were reading this. And when I first uh, read through it, I I thought it was going to be about this brother's resentment of of his own brother, but he's defending him, which is very sweet in a way. And uh, I mean, it's kind of nice that he doesn't want them to talk bad about his sibling, who's been very successful. Um, this is really interesting. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of times in my life where I felt like that. I'm, I think, not to bring this about myself, I'm kind of that type of person. I, I tend to fall uphill a lot. Uh, I'm very scatterbrained and sort of disorganized at points. So I can kind of relate to where his brother is because I think my parents wanted me to buckle down a lot more. So 
this is a really interesting situation. I like the idea of you like waking up one day and realizing, oh no, I've accidentally graduated medical school with top honors. <laughs> I didn't mean to. Yeah, yeah, but there are, we all know people like that, that it just seems, but I, I think to the outside, it seems like they're effortless, but he's human being. He's got his own turmoil, his own, you know, it's just the, I think the way he does things looks unorthodox, but this is a human being. He's, he struggles. There's no yeah. way he doesn't. And he works hard. There's no way he got all of that just fortuitously or just handed to him. So that was my sense too. At a certain point, assuming that the surgeon line was not a throwaway, like he's a rocket scientist. Like I, I did take that at face value, even though the rest of that sentence had to do with like worker bees and brilliance. Right. Um, and assuming he is a surgeon, there's just, even if he is a little bit lackadaisical, you really do have to be very good to be a surgeon. They don't just let you uh, you know, do extra credit if you miss the final exam. Like you really do have to put in a lot of work and training. So there's a limit to how much work he can avoid. Like you do have to do some work to be a surgeon is my very limited understanding. Yeah, for sure. For sure. My instinct is that if he doesn't care, I don't know how much defending of him you really have to do, in my opinion. I mean, I'm wondering the brother that's saying that, how much of this is actually for his brother and how much of this is for himself, maybe? I, you know, because it sounds like like he's freely admitting to this. His brother just doesn't care and he's proven them wrong with his success. I mean, they can, they can think what they want, but it sounds like he's got plenty of financial resources and a happy life. So I'm wondering why he feels the need to even defend his brother. He can just be like, well, you know, well, that's how he is, uh, you know, but I don't know. That's my opinion is why, why waste the breath, I guess. But I think that's a really good insight when you, when you mentioned that you're wondering how much of this actually might have to do with the letter writer. And I wonder if part of the reason the letter writer is irritated by this is this sense of if they say these things to me and they assume that I'm also sort of rooting for him to fail, that sort of implies that they think I'm constantly jealous. Um, right. And so I think especially since the letter writer has said, like, it hasn't always been easy, but it's really, I really care about my brother. I feel really clear eyed about, I couldn't do what he does, even if I had all the help in the world. So it helps me not to compare myself to him. I right. wonder if that's sort of like, it's not so much on my brother's behalf. It's that it implies that I am like more jealous or less caring than I really feel. And so that makes sense to me. And I think, again, your your point about you don't necessarily want to get more upset than your brother does about this is maybe yeah. good guidance for this letter writer, which is don't get more upset than he does. So if he takes it pretty lightly or mostly ignores it, I think that should be your cue. Not that you can't ever say anything, but I think when you dismiss relatives for saying that, do so lightly. So if your aunt says, oh, he's going to fail, you could say something like, well, you know, you've been saying that for a while and he hasn't yet. He might just make it. Um, but like, don't get into a big argument about it or even just say, I really don't think so. He seems to be doing super well. Like just a light, friendly, I don't agree with you, making it clear you're not going to um, join in um, and maybe even gesturing towards, well, you've been predicting this for years and it hasn't happened yet. And, and no further, I think is maybe the way to do. 
Yeah, I agree. I I think uh, if you start arguing on your brother's behalf far harder than your brother would have ever argued for himself, uh, it's an odd look, and it and it comes across that it is it's more about you than him. So yeah, I'm I'm sort of the same way, and I would probably even def- I would deflect and be like, I don't know, why don't you ask him about it? You know, I mean. This is still your relative, you know? I mean, I don't want to see him. I would say, I don't want to see him come undone. I like, I love him. Yeah. I hope that doesn't happen, you know? I think I that's would, a really nice way of doing it. Like, it's both kind of funny, but it's also like, maybe let's redirect, gang. Yeah, yeah. Like, because to me, that's what I would say about my own brother. If somebody said something negative or a family member was doing that, I'd be like, well, I don't want to see my, I don't want to see him fail. Yeah. You know, I mean... I hope that doesn't happen. I, I, I'm really hoping he stays this course. It seems like it's worked for him. So that would be my advice. But if not, just saying absolutely nothing. Yeah. I think that's the way to go. I think the one thing I wouldn't encourage our letter writer to say is, and people would still like him better than they like you. Yeah. <laughs> or he's 10 times smarter than you. Like, I agree, letter writer. That is rude. Um, so s- stick with just like, no, I want good things to happen to him. Uh, or, or as nice as that. Don't get, but, it, but if that. it's a young person in your family, you can definitely say something like that. Cause they're probably not going to remember it, you know? So <laughs> like you could dunk on a, like maybe like a young child who's like, he's kind of disorganized and you'd be like, he's better than you are, you know? And they're probably not going to remember that. Anyway. Yeah. And like, I, again, I don't know, like maybe he is incredibly scatterbrained. Maybe he truly does show up to surgery like three days late and is like, let's rock and roll. And everybody just goes along with it. But Again, I just wonder if some of this is a perception that things come easily to him. I think sometimes when people seem to be doing really well or they are really talented at something from the outside, it can look like they don't have to try when it's a little bit more like they're quite good at it. So trying is pretty easy. Um, again, yeah, just- I think I find that with stand-up comedy a lot. There's a there's a feeling that when you're at a certain level, and I think that's why people start doing stand-up is they go, oh, well, he makes it look so easy. You know, mm-hmm. or that, but it's about composure, you know, and I, I wonder if this older brother is kind of composed and he carries a certain attitude and air about him while he's doing all this. But inside, he's a human being. He'd be a sociopath if he didn't have insecurities and fears and worries about inadequacy or whether or not. And that may be what propels him, you know, to be so successful mm-hmm. uh, is is a feeling like he doesn't he doesn't ever want to be uh, substandard in any manner. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's a misconception. I think he actually stresses and struggles personally, but. Yeah. And I think sometimes people just get really upset if someone doesn't appear to have like suffered enough. Right. It's just like, I I think it's actually kind of nice if someone just like things go well for them. And like you, I guess you could get really anxious or upset about it if you wanted to, but it just feels like, it doesn't seem like this has gotten your cousin or your aunt anywhere good. Like it hasn't helped them to be constantly wishing for his downfall and it hasn't worked. And it really just seems like if they decided to stop doing it, that would kind of solve their problem. Yeah. We have a technical term for his aunt, his cousin. Uh, they're called haters and that's uh, right. They're haters. And yeah. so F the haters. Come on. No, I, I, All I can think of is Eric Adams deranged uh, little rhyming promise of like, let your haters become waiters at the <laughs> banquet of your success or something equally I, You bananas. said it. I didn't. That was all I on you. I barely <laughs> said it. I, nah, I just, well, yeah, you said pretty much the whole thing. So, and it's on tape. 
Uh, so <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, I, I think this is an easy slam dunk one. Just, yeah. And, and you know, letter writer, I think that does solve your problem. You want to make sure that they don't think you agree with them. That's not to say that you can successfully convince them if, if they decide like, oh, you really do think like I do and you just won't admit it. I wouldn't advise you to get into like a 20 round argument about it, but certainly lightly disagree, tell them like, knock it off. Uh, and then just, if they bring it up again, just ignore it. Um, don't go further than that. Don't get really worked up about it, but I think that will make you feel better. Um, and that's it. And again, like, that's great. And your aunt and your cousin, and sometimes your parents are, I think, wasting their time wishing that he would suffer. more. There's so much suffering in the world already. Yeah. Why, why, why wish add for more? to it? Yeah. Why wish for more and from a relative? Uh, you Especially because it sounds like he's a nice guy. It's like, it's not like, I feel like the letter writer would have said, and he's always showing up at our houses at Christmas and announcing like how great he's doing and how little he has to work and how stupid everyone else is. Like, it does well, not sound he, like he's that kind of guy. And he said he's charming and brilliant, you know, like it, it's, it's pure jealousy. It, 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 like the sentiment that is being expressed by family members is like this feeling like, oh, well, that won't work all the time. You know, like he, he's. Well, who knows? Maybe it will. Yeah. I mean, it does yeah. for some people. Yeah. And if, last thought is just like, maybe you can make that your joke. Like, I hope he gets richer every year. I just want to ride on his coattails. Yeah. Like, make it your own joke. I want an inheritance. I'm the one he's going to leave this stuff to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. This is, he's my retirement plan. Yeah. Be nice to him. That's it. Like, be like, yeah. ah, no way. This dude's making money. I, I hope he continues and I'm going to be as nice to him as possible. Yeah. I like that a lot. I, I think that's all I've got on this one. Like, congratulations on having a really cool brother. That's awesome. It's great when you have successful relatives who are also nice. Like, that's terrific. Yeah, and person who wrote the letter, let me be the one to say it. I hope your brother doesn't fail. I hope he remains yeah. successful. And I hope it's a benefit for, a net benefit for your whole family. Yeah, and it sounds like you have a really good attitude about it. Like, it's pretty human and natural to say, I have sometimes felt less cool or less impressive or just like a certain wistful jealousy. But I'm also just really aware, like, we're different people. There's no point in wasting time comparing us. And I'm mostly just really happy for him. Like, I think that's a terrific way of thinking about it. So, like, well done you. All right, I will move on to our second letter, which is sadder. So, so we're about to get into some of the heavier stuff. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll, just, I'll just read it. Subject is, I still miss him. My husband passed away from an accidental overdose nine months ago. We had been together for 20 years. He always had a problem with alcohol and drugs, but he hid it well, made great money at a steady job. And I think a lot of even his closest friends didn't realize how serious his problem was. When he was sober, he was a loving father and provider, even though he was sometimes emotionally absent as a husband. But I was very deeply in love with him, and I know he loved me and our sons. The last year was the worst. He was having bad outbursts when he was drunk, and so focused on drinking that every outing became a fight. I was even considering divorce because of how the fighting was affecting our kids, but he always promised to do better and even went to rehab. I was terrified he was going to drink and drive and end up in jail, or hurt himself, our sons, or someone else. I feel like a monster for thinking that at least my sons won't have to watch him destroy himself. My sons were devastated when he died, but they are now doing very well. My older son gets himself to school every day on his own and has A's and B's in all his classes. He participates in sports and spends time with his friends. 
has, of course, cried and had outbursts about missing his dad. And he saw a therapist a few times, but overall, he is doing great. My younger son is also doing very well. He started kindergarten, and his teachers say he speaks about his dad, but always with love, and hasn't had any behavior problems. I just made myself go back to work after a month of laying in bed and drinking too much myself. I've recently started exercising and cutting out alcohol and received a promotion at work. Luckily, we had decent savings, and I received life insurance, so financially we're doing okay. My older son recently commented about a trip we're planning. At least dad won't be worrying about finding a place to drink and you guys won't be fighting so we can enjoy it. I know the past year and a half was very hard on my older son. He was the target of a few of my husband's drunken rages and he was always worried we would divorce. I've told the boys always that their dad loved them, that he was trying to stop drinking and that I had a part in our fights too. It wasn't all him. I don't want them to think badly of him. I tell them all the time we are lucky that he saved and ensured that we were taken care of even after he died. I guess my problem slash question is, shouldn't we be doing worse? Is it a poor reflection of my husband that we are doing okay? It would devastate me to know that my boys might think we are better off with him gone. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, I want to be careful on this one because I feel like I have a sort of temptation to read a lot in between the lines here. And it's not that I don't want to flag anything that might potentially become an issue, but I don't want to get like really confident that like, oh, I know exactly what's going on here. Like this sounds incredibly sad and complicated. And if there's any silver lining to be found, I mostly just want to encourage this letter writer to enjoy it. Like I, I really just want to stress, it does not sound like everyone's skipping around and saying things are perfect. So like, I don't think you're cruising for like a really bad fall here. So just fundamentally that fear of, are we doing too well? I, I don't think so. Um, I think there's certain things that I would want to encourage you to sort of keep an eye out for. But overall, if you're just like not every day racked with suffering, uh, kind of like in the last letter, like that's good. You're already experiencing enough suffering, right? Like you already are sad to have lost your husband. You already feel sort of guilty for being relieved that he's no longer struggling with his addiction, even though it's not like you would have wished death on him in order to achieve that outcome. That's plenty to deal with already. I don't want you guys also to be like, and we don't know how we're going to cover the electric bill this month. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try not to cry. Uh, <laughs> May 23rd of this year, I passed 13 years of sobriety. Mm. I uh, went to rehab in 2010. Um, I did not thankfully have an opioid addiction, but I was an alcoholic and I had a problem mm -hmm. with benzos. And uh, I talk a lot about it on my first couple albums. And uh, there were many a time that I thought that my family's life and my wife and my son, their life would be far better without me in it. Mm. And that's the hopelessness, I think, of an addiction. I mean, as I'm sure this person writing this letter knows, no no reasonable, sane-minded person wants to be an addict. No, no one does. I've not met a single one. It's just a, it's an unfortunate illness. But I can say that if anything were to happen to me, if my wife and my son lived their best life, I would be very, very happy for them if they were happy yeah. moving forward because I love them. You yeah. know, the, I wouldn't want them to suffer or to feel sad for me. That's not... And you, I think... The person writing it probably has to put themselves in that situation and think, what, well, you know, how would I feel? Um, I think you would feel a sense of relief knowing that they don't have to, you know, you cause the pain of uh, everything you did and everything that led up to you 
if you're the addict to passing away, you wouldn't want them to add that additional thing. I think it sounds yeah. to me like a little bit of survivor's remorse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think it also sounds a little bit, yeah, there's always a guilt for feeling happy after somebody passes. I think that feels fairly normal. Mm-hmm. But I don't know your husband, but if he loved you and he loved his kids as much as she says that he does, he does he's happy that yeah. you're happy and you should continue on that track, smiling. And it's hard to care for somebody. Like anybody who's been an addict knows the damage that they caused and yeah. uh, they know how hard it is to love and the addict knows that too, you know, we get a front row seat to all of it. So, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to get emotional. <laughs> no, I mean, of course, this is deeply emotional stuff. And especially when you consider that feeling of like survivor's guilt, uh, especially when you're thinking about, and now I have to raise the kids by myself. And there's that concern about what if they don't think well of their father. And I want to really stress letter writer. I, it doesn't sound like to me you're doing anything like trying to pressure your kids to like only remember the good times. So I, I'm just saying this as a sort of thing to bear in mind in the future, not as something I think you're doing wrong now. But it would really make sense to me if your sons go through a lot of different ways of thinking about their father as they grow up, especially your older son who remembers more. And so I would just really encourage you to say, of course, it makes sense that you would want them to remember how much their father loved them. But I would just say in your in your desire to speak well of him, I would encourage you don't try to Sometimes there's a way that we can carry that sort of desire in a way that sort of stresses, don't focus too much on the bad stuff or don't be angry. Um, And so I would just say like, it may be that your son is doing really well right now in part because he feels a lot of stress. Like I'm really glad that he's getting himself to school and getting straight A's and B's. But I just also know like there may come a time when he says, yeah, I felt like high intense anxiety and like I had to be good because we've been through so much. And again, that doesn't mean you're doing something evil or wrong or that you have to be prepared for him to have like a huge breakdown. Just sometimes you're okay for a while and then that shifts or sometimes like you throw yourself into working hard and achieving after a great loss. And then later you experience a little bit more of a meltdown. And and that's just, if that does happen, I don't want you to feel like you're doing something bad or wrong. And so I, I think you know, you say that your husband, you worried sometimes that he was going to harm himself or your sons, and also that sometimes his sons were the targets of his outbursts. So again, there's not a lot of detail there. I don't want to say that must have been violent necessarily, but, you know, I take you seriously when you say that you were worried sometimes when he was using that he would hurt your kids. And, and so just again, they might feel angry about that and that would be understandable. And and don't let your fear of them not loving their dad put you on a path to try to preempt that anger because I think if that were to happen, it wouldn't make that anger go away. It would just make them think, okay, I've got to hide this from mom. Yeah, I agree. I think kids are going to have complicated, complex images of their parents regardless of what happens. And I think kids are incredibly intuitive and bright and they pick up so much more than we ever give them credit for doing. And, and I truly, truly believe your kids are going to form a very complicated, complex portrait of your, of your husband and their dad and helping them process that and be okay with the emotions that they have. I, I really agree with that. I think that's the best thing you can do. I think allowing them to form a full, complicated, real portrait in their heads and in their hearts of who 
their dad was, is one of the most important things they can do because he wasn't, it sounds like this person was not black and white as we're all, you know, we are complex and maybe in the future them understanding that will help them avoid yeah. some of the pitfalls that he, he went into as well, you know, um, because they understand it. That's my opinion. I, I mean, it could be wrong on that, but yeah. So I just think, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of good things right now. I'm really glad that you're able to feel like you're getting out of bed and able to cultivate a different kind of relationship of your own to alcohol. I don't want to assume that just because your husband had a substance abuse problem that you invariably must too, or that you need to follow like a pursuit of abstinence for the rest of your life. But I would just really encourage you, letter writer, like if you ever feel like you need any kind of help making sure that you continue to drink like lightly or with real moderation or at some point, not at all, that you really prioritize that, um, that would be a good thing. And then I think just in terms of dealing with your kids, maybe revisit with your older son, not in a way that's like, hey, you and I have to have a huge heart to heart right now, but to just say, you know, I remember when you said the other day that you were feeling relieved that dad wasn't going to be worried about finding a place to drink. And I just wanted to see how you're feeling a few days out from that. Sometimes I feel the same way. Um, and then I feel a little guilty or a little anxious, like I shouldn't feel relieved because I'm also so sad that he's gone and I miss him. So I think just like letting him know you sometimes struggle with that same sense of like relief and grief might be kind of nice for him to hear that just so he can be reminded that that's to be expected. And again, if he doesn't want to like really open up, you don't have to force a big heart to heart. But I think sometimes it's nice when like if you say something as a kid that you know might potentially open a can of worms. If somebody checks in a day or two later in a way that's kind of like open-ended and and patient and not like, wow, I was really freaked out that you said that, that can be a nice way of reassuring you that what you're feeling is is understandable. Yeah. I also think there are great and wonderful programs for families uh, with professionals that can help you break down uh, some of that. And I, it, this you can really see how much of a disease and an illness this is because you hear people who cared for loved ones who had cancer and, you know, other terminal illnesses say it is a relief at times mm -hmm. uh, that that is gone. Even though you're conflicted and you hate saying that, it is hard to care for somebody who's sick. It's, it's okay to feel that, you know, mm -hmm. um, sad, but kind of also beautiful letter as well in an odd way. Yeah, I think all this makes a lot of sense. And again, you say your son went to a few therapy sessions, doesn't seem interested in going back right now and all that's great. But yeah, just to think ahead, like in the sort of like long run, it might be useful to check out either like family therapists who specialize in like bereavement and or dealing with substance abuse just to kind of make sure that this isn't just like a one and done thing. Like, oh, after dad died, we went to a few therapy sessions, but then that was pretty much it. Uh, and to maybe find a balance between, I don't ever want to say like mandatory therapy for everyone just because your dad died, um, but to also, I don't know, find a good balance between sometimes there's a sort of pressure for things to be okay because they were so messy for the last year and a half. And so to sort of be on the lookout for, you know, maybe my kid's just more stressed than he needs to be, or maybe it's kind of like a duck swimming across a pond where everything's smooth on the surface, but underneath there's some more turmoil but also not projecting onto him. Like maybe mostly he does just feel like relieved and excitement to be able to like get back to normal things and sometimes feel grief and sometimes just feel like, great, I got to play soccer today. That was awesome. Nobody fought. So I guess to be prepared both for things to be okay sometimes and not otherwise. Um, and to just remember like 
grieving will show up at different points throughout their growing up years. And it makes sense if for a while one of them maybe is doing fine and then the other one kind of gets upset or like maybe they're fine for a few years and then later it gets a little bit harder. And to just stay open to change, I think, is is probably the best move and to think about additional ongoing support that you can access for, for yourself as well as for your kids. But again, just like the basic answer to your question is no, um, this this mixture of grief, sadness, missing him, relief that he's no longer like suffering from active addiction and also lashing out at you and the kids. That's really good. Yeah. I, I, I can I just add one more caveat at the end? Please. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know for my own grief and things that ultimately led to my own addiction issues, the things that were a savior to me. And, you know, I, I, I don't know your children. I, they're getting A's and B's and maybe they're in the sports. I, I can't speak highly enough for art uh, and mm-hmm. art therapy and creativity for highly analytical minds as an outlet to maybe process some of that. And I know there's a lot of wonderful programs that use music and art uh, to help young people who are who are grieving and maybe, you know, to, to help get some of that stuff out in a manner that is, uh, you know, that is safe and creative and whatnot. So I don't know, just a thought. Yeah. I think that's really, really helpful. And I think too, because it will also be important for your kids to have outlets where they can share thoughts about their dad that aren't you. Like, obviously I want them to be able to talk about it with you too, letter writer, but sometimes for, I think, pretty obvious reasons, especially if they're picking up that you are really anxious that they remember the good things about their father as well as the bad. There might be times when they really want to like just let go of some or discuss some like anger or negative feelings. And they're worried about, well, if I share this with mom, that might hurt her. And again, that's not to say like, go find a bunch of other people that they talk to instead of you, just that sometimes it's important for them to have an outlet in addition to you where they can just prioritize their own feelings and not worry about having to edit them. So again, that might be another vote in favor of like occasional therapeutic check-ins, which is not the same as like, make sure everyone's seeing a therapist for the rest of their life. Just like, (laughs) you know, maybe like a, a month or two out of the year, every year, just as a sort of general, like how we doing, like how we doing since last year, kind of like going in for like a physical, if that makes sense. Not that everyone needs to do like one month of therapy every 12 months. That's a weird <laughs> new rule. But you know what I mean? Like something that, that thinks of therapy is like, you can go do it for a while. It's not necessarily a lifelong commitment unless you really want it to be. And it's not an either or proposition where either like you're in it until you die or you're done forever. Yeah. Yeah, I just really wish everybody the best and I am done telling them what to do. That's the end of my advice for the day. <laughs> that was oh, great. You did fantastic. Thank you so much. I mean, I hope we did. We don't know. They might not even listen to this. I, I, but, thought, you did. Um, I thought you did a fantastic job. It's insightful. And I I love this podcast. This is great. I, well, I, I live I, in the dark and the heavy. So <laughs> I think that you have uh, improved it immensely. So I'm so grateful both for your sort of like light touch and thoughtfulness as well. And congratulations on 13 years. That's fantastic. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, it's taken me a while to say thank you, but uh, thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. It's uh, yeah, I'm proud of it. Hello, big mood, little mood listeners. I have a special announcement for you. It's a little sad, but it's also not the end. The sad part is that Big Mood, Little Mood is ending soon. After today, we're just going to be releasing one more show before the end of the year, and that'll be that. 
but we've had a great run. I really hope that you tune into our last show next week. I'll share a little bit of my thoughts and feelings about having given weekly advice on both Big Mood, Little Mood, and Dear Prudence with Slate for the last eight years. But for now, I'll just say that I can't tell you how much I've appreciated everybody who's written in and everybody who's listened. Before we get too sad, here's the exciting part. You'll still be able to catch me talking about real-life problems over on Outward, Slate's queer podcast. In fact, we're going to be dropping a few episodes of Outward into this very feed because we know it's a busy time of year and you don't have the time to be clicking on other tabs. So please subscribe to Outward if you get the chance and join me for the final episode of Big Mood, Little Mood on December 26th. This is Danny Lavery saying farewell, but not goodbye. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. But I think oftentimes, you know, lay people without previous experience with mental illness or addiction can just feel like, I've been pretty understanding and it's been a few weeks and like, I'm tired of this. And again, that doesn't they don't necessarily go into it thinking that's how they're going to feel, but often without realizing it, people might have a sort of sense of how long they expect someone to need a lot of additional like slack or leeway or, or compassion. And when you cross the limit of what in the back of your mind you were unconsciously thinking was a reasonable amount, oftentimes it's like, oh, I'm out. I'm all out of compassion and now I'm just annoyed. Yeah. Um, and that's often where like real tension or friction starts which can be awful because it comes from a situation where people genuinely wanted to do the right thing. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.